Sunday is such a wonderful day in the life of the church, and I, I wish we could be together for today. I wish we could have seen our, our children coming down, processing in uh, with their palm branches. Uh, it has been difficult, uh, as, as faithful as those who are here today to serve our church by being here, uh, it's been difficult not to have you here. Now, for the record, Corey Phillips did an incredible favor to me and to our church five Sundays ago when I had a severe sinus infection, and he filled in for me at the last minute. So I'm very thankful for that. But has anyone else noticed that ever since Corey preached, nobody has ever come back to church? Just, I just, I, I'm just saying, for the last several weeks, as we've gone through this Lenten season, uh, we've been saying, why did Jesus die? As we focused our hearts and our worship in this most holy of seasons, why is it that Jesus went to the cross? Now, the heart of that is you and me, that he loved us so much, that his father loved us so much, that he sent his only begotten son for us. But we've been looking at several reasons throughout scripture and theology to, to, to get as full of a picture as we can so we can rightly give glory to Jesus and to his father. And that's that's part of the reason why Jesus came. That's part of the reason for this hour in John's gospel. For the cross is the Father. You, you can't read John's gospel and miss the word sent. Over and over again throughout this gospel, you see Jesus testifying, whether it's chapter 3, 34, chapter 4, 34, and on and on. You can't miss Jesus saying, I am the sent one of God. Three times in this chapter, verse 44, 45, and uh, 49, he testifies to that, that it's the Father who sent me. Dropping down in our passage to verse 27, yes, Jesus was sent for this hour, which is code in John's gospel for the cross. I have come to die. But the next verse says this, not only is this the purpose, this hour, but verse 28, it's so that the Father's name may be glorified. And, and that's part of why Christ gives of himself. Everything he does is for the glory of God. Now, let's do some Bible study. Uh, let's just get a little background where we are in John's gospel because even though it's the beginning of Holy Week, it really is the bookend of so many great themes in John's gospel. We get the very end of the book of signs, all these seven miracles that Jesus does. It's the end of that, and it's beginning what scholars call the book of glory, where Christ is glorified. It's also the end when Jesus stops talking about the coming hour in here, and in verse 1 of chapter 13 and verse 1 of 17, he says the hour is now. This is the hour where I will be given for the sins of the world. Also, this is the third and final Passover in John's gospel. It's the third and last time as well you'll hear this word, lifted up, if I be lifted up. All of that pointing to where we are going on Good Friday, pointing to that hour where the very Lamb of God gives himself for us. And now this transition into what, again, scholars says, say is the book of glory. This, this is it. This is the last public statements of Jesus. The rest of Holy Week in John's gospel, you, you get the disciples huddled together. And he's sharing with them his heart and his purposes in coming and for what's ahead. So in this last little uh, sharing publicly, you see that Jesus begins in verse 23 with himself. Yes, I will be glorified. But at the very end of our passage, 
It's the Father's name. It's the Father's name that's always on the heart of Jesus. It's always on the lips of Jesus. Chapter 7, 18, I'm seeking glory for my Father. Chapter 8, 49, I will honor my Father. Theologians talk about the primacy of the Father. I paid a lot of money for that word in seminary. The primacy of the Father that not only is the Father always on Jesus' heart, first in in his heart in a very real sense, but I even heard one, one person say one time that John's gospel is really just as much about the Father as it is Jesus. And I kind of grimaced when I heard that. But then you watch Jesus' life. Watch what he says. Watch what he does. And as you watch him, you just find place after place where all he does is talk about his Father. There's 109 uses of the word Father in John's gospel. That's like five times per chapter. It's more than double of any other gospel. Jesus is constantly saying, and you you see it later in his great priestly prayer in chapter 17. Verse 1, 17, glorify me, why? So that I may glorify you. Verse 5, glorify me because I want to be together with you in that glory. That's why we just prayed. As Jesus taught his disciples to say, hallowed be thy name. That's the model and and, and pattern that Jesus has set for us. And now Jesus the Christ is coming into his city to give himself on a cross. And he says, this is not just about me. This is to the glory of God. Of God, His goodness in sending me for you. Even in a dark moment, even though there's praise all around him, but now this conversation has turned because of these Greeks. Why have you come? Who are you? And he brings up that hour, the cross. And he still has the glory of the Father on his lips. That's Jesus' life. I like how the message says it. Not just, Father, glorify thy name, but Father, put your glory in on display. In the cross, in my life, put your glory on display. Let's, let's be honest. As we look around at our culture, it's, it's very different. We are, we are living in a look-at-me culture. I will work my body to death so you will look at me and give me glory. I will spend like there's no tomorrow so you will look at me and notice me. I will push my kids harder than everybody else so that when you see their lives, you will think of me and notice me. It's a common struggle for all of us. That's this world. Look at me. And Jesus is consumed with his Father by pleasing his Father, by giving glory and recognition to his Father. But I love this too. As much as it could just be about them, uh, and I wish I could count for you. I got up to 35 and I got tired. I've been living on a high-carb diet. Maybe you've been snacking like I have these last couple of weeks. But I got up to 35 times by the time you get to chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about his relationship with his Father, his oneness with his Father, his love for his Father, his purposes with his Father. But it's not just about them. This is the beauty of the triune God. In this moment... It's also about others. Listen, it's always about others with Jesus. Even on the cross, what do we catch him doing? He's about his Father, yes, in his prayers, but you see him praying for the forgiveness of people. You see him worried about the salvation of a thief. 
You see him taking care of provision for his mother. At the moment where there should have been the most selfish moment in all of human history. Woe to me. I'm cursed and on a tree. I'm suffering for the sins of others. And he's self-giving. He's other-centered. And even in this moment, I didn't catch it until this last week. You look at his life. Look at verse 28. The Father speaks from heaven. I have been glorified and I will be glorified. And when I read that, I immediately thought, this is just like God to encourage his son. You get that at Jesus' baptism. We, we forget about this voice from heaven. Maybe I did. Maybe you, maybe you haven't. But you get this voice from heaven of, of God to his son just as Jesus is about to step out into the wilderness. And it's a voice that Jesus needs to hear. And, and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The same thing happens at the transfiguration where the, the, Jesus is about to start from the northernmost point that he goes and head toward Jerusalem towards Holy Week. And the father at the transfiguration again said, this is my son. I thought this was the same thing, but you keep reading in the text. Why was this said? It wasn't for Jesus. What's Jesus' testimony here? This was said for you. My father said this for you. Always other-centered. It's just like the father. It's just like Jesus at these moments where we might get tempted to turn inward to turn outward, wrapped up in the glory of the Father and the blessing of others. It's a, it's a, it's a good and also a, a stark reminder when we look at our lives and our relationships to see them in that way. How is it my friendships are Father-centered and other-centered? How is it our marriages? How is it our work? How is it our parenting? How is it even our church? Um, now, I love this because it's a reminder to us in this difficult time, in this anxious time, when Jesus and the Father could have been caught up in that anxiety and the very darkness of that moment that we'll never fully understand as he begins his week in Jerusalem to die. Their minds are on these who have gathered. Jesus' mind is on you. The Father's mind is on you. You have his attention. So that's a great reminder here that as we go through these days of uncertainty, the Father's thinking of us. Jesus is thinking of us. But it does make us reflect and think about how is it we can sometimes circle the wagons. At a time like this, it could grip a church to say, listen, you just check on each other. You make your online experience as great as it can be. And you just, you just center on each other during these times. And I just love to see and I've said this before, but just love watching you, seeing how our Celebrate Recovery folks and other people are continuing to support the Crossroads ministry through this. Whether it's preparing for meals or celebrating one of the Crossroads women who just had a baby, keeping that connection. I'd love to hear, I'd love, I'd love to hear about Madcap and that continuing ministry. Um, we've had a couple of men who have gathered early in the morning on Tuesdays. We've kept our social dis distancing guidelines but have met on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday afternoons just to pray at the church, to get together and, and to check on one another. But this past Tuesday, as we're checking on one another, you know what the subject was? How are we going to keep Why Not Now going, our inner city feeding ministry? How are we going to partner with Stewart, a stew pot downtown? It can be easy to circle the wagons. That's not the heart of God in this passage. It's always others. 
And one of the great ways we continue to love the Lord through a very anxious time is the way we check on others, pray for others, and bless others as best we can uh, through this season. But I want us to look at two other things very quickly this morning, and it's because it's unique to John's gospel. Uh, And so I want us to give attention to Philip and to Andrew uh, very quickly. Why is this whole thing brought up? Why are these, why do we get these wonderful words from Jesus about the Father will honor those who serve him? Why do we get uh, these words? It's because there were some Greeks who were in Jerusalem and they talked to Philip. I don't know why they're there. Maybe they were in the Gentile court, as I had said recently, when Jesus threw the money changers out, and so they had an interest in Jesus and who he was. Maybe they're like the Ethiopian in the book of Acts who just came to Jerusalem uh, to worship. They're truth seekers. They're God seekers. But I do know they talked to Philip, and Scripture doesn't say why, but several commentators guess why. Philip's one of the few Greek names of the disciples. Could it be That this one little common bond could be an avenue into somebody's life. I have admitted to you before, I have trouble getting avenues into people's lives because I'm a preacher. I try so hard never to bring up that I'm a preacher in a conversation. I go as long as I can without bringing that up. Because when I do bring up that I'm a preacher with somebody I don't know in a new conversation, one of two things happens. Number one, the conversation gets shut down. That's just what happens usually. But number two, if it's with a person in another church, all of a sudden they start trying to unload about their church or especially about their pastor. Now, I shut that down as soon as I can. Although, let me tell you what I heard about First Baptist uh, Pastor Ronnie. I've heard nothing. Wonderful man of God. But it's interesting to me that people begin to just unload. If you're a preacher, they either unload about their church pain or they just shut you down. I wish I had your Greekness. When laity of the church, not preachers, not clergy, when real people lift up the name of Jesus Christ and give glory to the Father, there's no telling what can happen. Even through some common bond, like a name, maybe some kind of common interest, some, something that has to do with your career, or maybe even harder, can you give God your past failures, even your addictions? Can you give God your stuff that you thought was just simply for evil and allow God to work that for good, that if you'll be real about those things, you just might strike up a bond with somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ and they can bump into the grace and the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ because you've, you've been real with somebody. What you have here in Philip, most people say, is this wonderful reminder that that if you and I will have our eyes open, our ears open for what God wants to do in us, he can use that for his glory. I wonder if Philip also kind of got this. Because just two chapters earlier in John chapter 10, as we heard beautifully sung for us uh, this morning, Philip had heard that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's not just the good shepherd to his sheep, but he had testified, there there are other sheep that I want to bring in. And now here's this opportunity thrown in front of Philip, maybe because of his name, maybe because of an inroad, and he, just like he had in chapter 2, he's got to get people 
to Jesus. And then also, not only do we see this reminder, will you and I be open to however God wants to use us, whatever doors he might want to open through our lives, whether it's our past or our name or our background or our work, whatever that may be, Lord, you use that. Our district superintendent, Connie Shelton, shared a story recently of a girl named Emily. Emily had gone to a Christmas Eve service. She was living in another state. Emily hadn't been to church in years. Emily had been repeatedly burned by the church. But finally, uh, this young adult had mustered up the courage to say, I'm just going to go to a random church. I'm just going to go in, sneak in the back, try to get there early, but sneak, sneak to a side so nobody will see me. And I just want to see what God will say. Emily never got to hear what God would say. Because after Emily had sat down on this Christmas Eve, after coming into this church for this opportunity to hear the grace of God, somebody bumped Emily on the shoulder and said, you're sitting in our seats. Emily got up and she left. And five days later, because of a car accident, she was gone. Can you imagine the pain of her family having heard from her about that experience because somebody didn't have their eyes open, even on Christmas Eve. Somebody didn't have their radar up. Here's somebody we don't know. And this is the night where we talk about that God himself has become flesh. We missed it. God works through you. And you see that here in Philip's life. How is it you and I need to have our eyes open and be expectant that he will work. And then very quickly in Andrew's life too. You see this response in verse 22. By the way, chapter 2 tells us Philip was from the town of Andrew and Peter. And so I love how Philip gets these people, these Greeks, to Andrew. And I love that Andrew knows immediately what to do. He did this with his brother Peter. And you don't see any hesitation with Andrew here. He immediately brings these people to Jesus. Andrew had watched the ministry of Jesus. Andrew knew that Jesus would never turn a seeking soul away. That's why John's gospel is written. You get to the end of chapter 20. All this is written so that you might believe in Jesus the Christ. And by believing, by, by believing you might have life in Jesus' name. I don't, I don't know where you are today. But Andrew knows this and I knew, know this. If you want to see Jesus, like these Greeks said in verse 21, you want to see Jesus, Andrew's testimony here is Jesus never turns a seeking soul away. Whatever questions you have, whatever hurts you have in this season, Jesus will meet you. He did that here for them. Jesus Christ, the very Lamb of God, on Palm Sunday has entered into his holy city to give everything for us, for our sin, for our eternal life, for life with him now, and life that can be abundant. But he's also come because he's wrapped up in glorifying his Father. He's wrapped up in serving and blessing others. And we just see that on every verse, in every verse here. How is it that you and I can use whatever those common bonds are, our name, our background, our hurts, our vocation, so that others might come to Christ. How is it this morning you need to be reminded of the truth that Jesus will never turn away someone who 
seeks him. How is it as we look over our relationships, over our work, over our lives, that we need to be consumed as Jesus was for the glory of his Father? How is it, I pray, that you've been reminded this morning that even on a difficult day, as Jesus is talking about his hour, his attention are on those who seek him. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this word about your sent son. We praise you that you loved us so much that you could give of your only begotten son. Lord Jesus, we join with you and and pray that our response to this word would bring glory to you, but also glory to your Father. Holy Spirit, bless our response. Show us the things that we need to see, the things that we need to respond to. Encourage us, refresh us, challenge us, we pray, for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God. For your word, for this time, we give you our praise and thanks. In Christ's name.